this day. Thank you for all of the many blessings that you've given us. God, thank you for the ability to come together as the body, God, as the family of God. Lord, I'm so blessed to be a part of it this morning. God, we ask that you be with John as he brings the message this morning. And Lord, clear out the clutter that's just piling up in our lives, God, so that we can hear the hope that you have, Lord. Thank you for everything that you do, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. things. One is, uh, you know, it really is an honor to be able to, to serve here at White Oak. Um, you put in another cough drop so I don't cough your ears off. Most people don't know this, but uh, September 1st of this past year was my fifth year on staff at White Oak Baptist. Um, and, and I don't, you know, uh, as as each year goes by, um, you know you, you begin to think, um, wh- what do you have in store this year, God? And I'll, I'll be honest, in in year five, uh, now heading in in year six, I'm probably more encouraged and excited to be at White Oak than than I probably have the previous five years. Um, and I say that for a number of reasons. Um, but, but I say that because God has called me here and God has kept me here. I mean, that's just reality is God's called me here and he has kept our family here. Um, you know, in the, the five years I've had opportunities to, to leave, um, but, but God has never clearly and fully opened that door. And, and this year it was one of those things that I stand back and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, because, you know, we're, we're really not in, a, a, we're not in a church that's exploding in growth, are we? Matter of fact, we're somewhat as a whole, as both campuses, a church in decline a little bit. Now, this campus is growing a, a little uh, or staying steady at best. And we all want to leave places oftentimes that aren't going well, right? Because why? We want something that's better on the other side, right? But what I've realized as being a pastor is sometimes the other side is not necessarily better. Because there are people there that have the same kind of problems that we have here. And the reality is this, uh, God has called us to be here and shepherd and be with you and teach you and help you and help us. It's not just about, uh, about me or you, it's about us, how we can overcome the struggles that exist as a church. Because the easy thing to do is say, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where they're getting it right right now. But guess what? Ten years from now or five years from now, they where they're getting it right now, they will not be getting it right. They'll be in the same kind of place. And so you're saying, why are you saying all of this? I'm saying this because it comes from this text this morning. So this passage of Scripture this morning is very encouraging to, to my heart and to the ministry and what God is doing. In all reality, uh, ministry is not about 
crowd size and financial stability. It is about one life being changed at a time and that life making a difference and realizing who they are in Christ and, and in that they begin to build the kingdom by reaching other people. So that's what I love about church. Last week I loved the sermon that Kyle, Kyle brought. If I can speak. Just the idea of God thinks differently than we do, does he not? And even if God can think foolishly, which he cannot, his foolish thinking is so much wiser than our wisest of thoughts. And in that, we have the wisdom of God when we come into Christ. And so as we examine verse 26 through 31 this morning, I don't have any points. We're just going to walk through the text. Before we begin, though, just for a few moments of walking through the text, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever sat and looked at whom God called throughout the Scriptures and wondered to yourself, wow, those are not the people that I would have chosen uh, to, to lead a nation or to lead a group of people? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about Abraham. You, you know, we think of Abraham as a, a great man of the faith, right? But he was, before he was Abraham, he was Abram in, in, in a place um, where he was actually not a worshiper of God, but he was a pagan. And God says, you know what? I want that guy to lead uh, a nation. And he goes down and he says, Abraham, you, you're, you're my man, and out of you I'm going to make you uh, the father of many nations, and, and the people will be greater than the sands of the earth. I don't know about you, but if I'm kind of standing in the field, and, and all of a sudden God begins to say that, I'm thinking, you sure you have the right kind of guy here? And who are you? But Abraham was like, okay. And then after that, did Abraham always make good decisions? Uh, no. Think about this. God says, you know what? You're, you're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to have a son. Well, he gets to 100 and he thinks, eh, this ain't going real well, God. So I'm going I'm to help you out. Sarah, Sarah says, let's help him out. You, you, you go uh, marry my, my servant, my slave, and um, you can have a child with her. What happens then? Sarah gets what? She gets mad, right? didn't go real well, does it? As a matter of fact, we are still suffering from the consequences of what Abraham did there today. Because you know where Islam come from? Ishmael. God's promise was right. He was the father of many nations. Only one of those would be faithful. Fast forward a little bit. Samson. Samson was a real strong guy, right? He could do all kinds of things, right? He could, he could, he could defeat lions. He could kill bears. He could push stone uh, walls down, right? But he also was someone who loved women. 
and didn't always make real wise decisions, did he? But God used him. How many of you would like Gideon to be the military leader for you? Anybody? No, I don't see any hands. Gideon's like, you want me to lead what? Well, God, if you want to do that, I'm going to, I'm going to test you. Not only once, but I'm going to test you twice. How about David? How many of you would love for David to, to, to lead you? Think about this. David does something. He, he, he sends his army off to war. And, and the scripture says when the kings went off to war, which meant the king went with the military, David stood back. And he stands back and he, he's, he's, he's up on his, his, his castle up on there and he looks down and, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. He says, huh. And, and, and he summons her. And he does something not so good, right? And he says, oh, man, I've messed up. So he, he calls Bathsheba's husband back. And he says, hey, uh, you have fought hard. You need to spend some time with your wife. And what does he do? No, while my men are fighting, I will not enjoy being in my home with my family. So what does David do? Well, I've got to cover this up some way, so I'm going to have the dude killed. Problem solved. And then Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him a little story. And David gets real angry because this, this one guy who has lots of sheep takes the guy who has just one. And David says, where's that guy at? I am going to have him executed. And Nathan points at him and says, what? You are that man. But what about Peter? Anybody want to follow the Apostle Peter? Oh. So on and so on and so on. God often chooses those who are at, at best normal. But most of the time, these are people who aren't just normal, everyday Joe kind of guys. These are... These are the low common denominator people. And so when Paul comes to the church of uh, Corinth and he begins to write, what he is doing is he is writing to a group of people that, guess what, are the lowest common denominator of the people in Corinth. These are servants, these are slaves, these are working class people. They're not the uppity up. But in Corinth, one of the things is, is the culture was all about moving up. Somebody that had something, it was always about getting what's better. Now, does that sound familiar? It's keeping up with the Joneses, right? Do we not live in that kind of culture? If so-and-so has it, guess what? what? I've got to have that. You know what? That's new. I need that. doesn't matter if it costs me five paychecks, I need it. That's us. And guess who God uses? Us. 
matter of fact, I would make the argument probably the most kingdom-minded churches in America and across the world today are places that if I began to name names, you would have no clue who they were or who their pastor was. But they are making mass differences for the kingdom. But we pay attention to guys who are great orators or great singers. Just this past week, I know this is a longer introduction, but this just past week, uh, in the past couple weeks, really news has leaked out about a guy named Kanye West. Anybody ever heard of Kanye West? If you haven't, go check out who he is. He's a guy that made fun of Jesus. Sometime back, within the last year or so, he shows up at a church. A guy where where uh, the, the guy that's the pastor of that church was trained under John MacArthur in the ministry at Grace Community Church. And a guy is just faithful preacher to the text. And why Kanye wanted to show up at that place, I have no idea, but he shows up. He begins to have a conversation with that guy. He begins to invite that guy to concerts with him. He flies him places to preach to his, his group. And all of a sudden, he's like, you know what? I need this Jesus you're talking about. That's not the Jesus I've ever seen or heard. And all of a sudden, now his life is clearly changed. If you've heard anything he said in the last two weeks, that is an example of what the gospel does. He, is, he, is, he made a statement just a few days ago. He goes, before I would have told you I was the greatest entertainer the planet has ever seen. Today I tell you I am here only because of Christ. That's the gospel. We all want those kind of people to be saved, right? Because we think what? They'll make a bigger difference. But in all reality, they don't make a bigger difference. It's the everyday person that makes the difference. And so here's what our text says. Look, let your eyes fall to verse 26 as we begin to make some observations. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you, or not many were wise from human perspective, not many powerful, and, or not many of noble birth. You see here, he makes a statement here. He says, brothers and sisters. He's bringing them to the equality of who he is as an apostle. Because Paul was what? A very educated man, was he not? He was educated under one of the greatest rabbis in Gamil. Paul knew the law and knew it well. Paul not only knew the law and knew it well, but he knew culture and knew it well. If you, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, go back to see what he happens in Acts chapter 17 when he's in Athens. He uses a, a Greek kind of thought process to speak to them. And so Paul is a very, very educated man. He has multiple PhDs. He's a smart guy. Matter of fact, he walks in a room, and he's probably always the smartest guy in the room. But what Paul says here to this church, who when they walk in the room, they are not the smartest people in the room. They're, they're the people that have to, to sit away from the high places and the nice places. But he says, brothers and sisters, he brings them to an equality with him. Because they are in Christ with him. So to you and I, I say brothers and sisters. 
consider your calling, Paul says. What he's saying here is remember the moment Christ called you out of your pagan culture, out of your Judaism, if you were a Jew. Jew. Remember that. Consider that. Think about that. He's not saying here this idea of thinking to process. He's, He's saying remember this idea of remembering. Let it soak in that God did something, that God called you out of nothing. And he doubles down on that and says, you, not many of you, so, so very few of you were, were very smart. Not many of you were wise from human perspective. You, you, you were the one in the classroom that just wanted the, the D for diploma. How many has been in here that, right? D means what? Diploma, right? For, for some of us. <laughs> And that's the way we went all the way through school. Some were overachievers, and it was always had to be an A. What, what Paul's saying here is most of you were the D kind of people. J- just pass. Just get by. You don't make really good decisions. Not only then he goes, not many of you were powerful. Not only did you not make good decisions, but you actually had no political standing and no ability to influence anybody. You were a nobody. Well, this is not going real well, is it, for them? I, but I argue it's actually going very well for them. And, and then he says, lastly, in verse 26, he says this, not many were of noble birth. You, you weren't upper-class people. <coughs> That's us. That's you, you and I. I don't know about you, but when I walk in a room, I do not think I'm the smartest person in the room. Unless maybe there's a bunch of rats and that's it. Other than that, when I walk in the room, I realize, yeah, I probably need to keep my mouth shut because there's a lot of smart people here. I'm in deep trouble now because there's a lot of smart people here and my mouth's not shut. But that's... That's who Paul's talking about. That's you and I. How many times we walk into a room, walk into a place, and we think, you know what, I can't add anything because I don't have anything to add. Most of us don't have powerful positions, do we? Anybody in here can make a phone call to the city mayor and make an impact? We can't even call a plumber and make an impact, can we? we? We have no power, and none of us are noble. Anybody in here a prince or princess by loyalty? I think so. If you did, I was going to hit you up for a loan because we're looking at buying a new house. So, <coughs> no, I, That's us. And then he writes down in verse 27, he, he continues on, he said, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen, uh, verse 28, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised, what is viewed as nothing, (coughs) to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. 
There's something interesting here that God says three times, or Paul says three times through the Holy Spirit, God has chosen. God has chosen. God has chosen. It wasn't you and I who said, you know what? I have something to add to the church, and I have something to add to the kingdom, and I am really good, and I'm really cool, and so that because of that, the church needs my help, so I'm going to go give my life to the church. That's not what happens. It is God who does the work. And God always chooses things that are wiser than what we can imagine. And so God goes after those who are not the superstars of the day. He goes after the common person and says, you know what? I'm going to use this common person who the world thinks is stupid, and I'm going to use them to astound the world. A great example of that is what Kyle used last week <coughs> as he closed out the sermon, as he, he used the, the conversion of Charles Spurgeon. That Spurgeon come to faith not under a great Methodist pastor or a great Baptist pastor who was who knew the word and knew everything, knew Greek sentences and knew the way the, the, the thing worked. He, he came to faith under a guy who could barely what? Talk in front of people. Why? Because it was the, the word that impacts people, which led Charles Spurgeon to do something. You know where most of his education came from? Self-study. And because of that, hundreds of thousands of people in London came to faith. You look around today, and God uses people who don't speak real well in front of others to make an impact. I am absolutely an introvert. If it was not for God's calling, there is no way on this earth I would be standing in front of a group of people. I would be happy working in a cubicle somewhere where I don't have to talk to you. Bill's right there with me. But God's called this ministry. <coughs> and because of that, he gifts me. See, God has chosen you for the ministry that God wants you to to be involved with and it's not because you add anything it's because he wants to astound the world by using nobodies because guess what the guy that made the impact on Kanye West was not John MacArthur or John Piper or Matt Chandler or any of the big time guys it was a guy who was preaching to 20 people in a small church in Los Angeles, California, that nobody had ever heard of. And matter of fact, I still don't know the guy's name. And guess what? His church is still small, but God is using him. And what Paul is saying here is God chooses those things that are insignificant. And the key word here is and despise. Let me give you an indication of what Paul's saying here in the text in verse 28. He says this, God chose what was insignificant <coughs> and despised in the world. The word here, despised in the Greek, is, is 
uh, in, in the Greek language, it means it's ongoing. Not only were you despised before, but now that you are in Christ and you are have been chosen by God, the, the despising is actually going to get worse. So, so get, get ready. So he's not saying now that you come to Christ, everything's good. He's, he's saying, you know what, you were despised in your, your worldliness before, now get ready because it's going to be worse. And for us as a church, this is a reminder that when we come to faith in, in Christ and we live in a culture that despises the church, don't be surprised. The more good we do, the more we do for Christ, the more we will be what? Despised and hated. Why is it? Because they hate us? No, they hate Christ. And, it, and that's what God is saying here through Paul to this church and needs to be said to us. So guess what? If we're doing something for Christ and we are despised for that, that's a good place to be. But if we are despised because we are arrogant and, and we are prideful and we think we're better than everybody, that is not what God wants us to be despised for. Matter of fact, if someone walked in here who looked like they weren't to be here just because they don't dress like us, look like us, act like us. We should actually feel that like we're more than, than them when it comes to our sin. Paul, the guy who had it right, said what? I am the chief among all sinners. He says, I never get it right. So what Paul is saying here is, church, be... You know, as he begins to unpack the rest of this letter, he wants them to know that, you know what, you, you, it's okay to be despised because you're in Christ. And, and remember, God chose you, not because you have something, but because God made you something. Verse 29, as we come to, <coughs> to wrap up this sermon this morning, 29, 30, and 31, here's what Paul writes. He says this, so that, that that's an important important word right there it's, it, it's saying so that because of this so that but you are these things so that guess what so that no one may boast in his what in his presence what they're saying is what paul's saying here no one may boast in their gifts penny is very gifted vocally Jordan's very gifted in guitar, and, and, and we have a great worship team. We have people that are good, but it is not about them and their ability. It is about what God is doing through them and that God has given it to them. What, what Paul is saying here is God loves to use normal people because they can't boast in their ability, and they can only realize that God is doing the work. It, it, it is from him, verse 30, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. Again, he's, he's continuing this thought process. It, it's Christ who do, has done the work. It's Christ who, who has saved you. It is Christ who has brought you to faith. It is Christ who's doing that. It is, it is Christ. It's Christ who, who, if you read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we often read that it's in faith 
uh, by him that we are saved. The question is, is, it's by his grace that we are saved. Here's the thing that we, we miss. Not only does God give us grace in saving us, but he gives us the faith to trust in that grace. So it's not our faith, it's, it's his faith that he gives us uh, to trust his grace. And so in that, guess what? He, we do nothing except say yes to Jesus, and Jesus does, does all the work. And to even say yes to Jesus, Jesus has got to do what? He's got to remove the blinds from our eyes, the, the sin from our eyes, and say, that's what I want. And, and in that, we, we trust Jesus. And here's, that's why when I pray for somebody to be saved, why do I pray for somebody to be saved? Because God's the only one that can open their eyes so they can be saved. If God couldn't do a work of couldn't couldn't transform their hearts and lives, why would I pray? And so what Paul's saying here is it's it's from him <coughs> that you are in Christ Jesus. Look at this who became wisdom from God for us. Christ became or is wisdom for us. That doesn't mean he gives us wisdom. It means that the wisdom of God comes within us in Christ Jesus. So we get something greater than wisdom. You remember what Solomon asked for from God? He asked for wisdom. What did God give him? Wisdom. Guess what? You have greater than what Solomon had. Because Solomon asked for wisdom that, that God gives to humanity. What we get is the wisdom of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So we, in our bodies, in our souls, and who we are, have the wisdom of God in the Holy Spirit. That should have been a big amen. So you're not foolish. So now your wisdom is, guess what? even if it seems foolishest to the world, is greater than the wisest thing the world could ever think. Why? Because you have Christ within you. That is something to celebrate, is it not? That's who we have. And look, because of that, we have righteousness. It's Christ who makes us right. It's Christ who does that. It is Christ who, who works in our lives. It is Christ who gives us our sanctification. That means that ongoing process that I look more like Christ. How many of you have been a believer for more than 10 years? You should look more like Jesus today than you did the moment you came to faith. That's sanctification. You're changing. Yes, how many of you have been a believer more than two weeks? Forget 10 years. Guess what? If you became a believer 21 days ago, today on day 21, you should look more like Jesus than you did day one. It may not seem like a much, but you will be more like Jesus because of the wisdom God has given you. And in verse 31, in, in, in redemption, we, we have redemption because of Christ. <coughs> this is glorious news to people who are hopeless. Before I get to verse 31 and close, why this is good news is this. Outside of Christ, there is nothing that will bring you hope and peace. Kanye West, again, is an example of that. 
a man worth hundreds of millions of dollars had no peace. Had all the fame in the world. Had no peace. He now has peace. The brokest person in sub-Saharan Africa who doesn't know that they're the brokest person has no peace unless they come to Christ. And in Christ, guess what? Whether you have $100 million or you owe $100 million, you have peace because it's in Christ and it's not about, well, about those things anymore. It's about Christ. And so what Paul is saying to the people here, guess what? You're in Jesus. This is real foolish to the world because it makes no sense to be dirt poor, does it, and to be happy. But I can take you to places in Belize. I can take you to places in Jamaica. I can take you to places in America where people are dirt poor, but they have Jesus, and they could care less about having anything other than Jesus. what Paul's talking about. That's redemption. It's not about having something bigger and better. So we come to verse 31 as we close. In order that. Here is the key to this structure. In order that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It's all about being in Christ. That's why I titled the sermon, In Christ. This is the impact. This is the application. Here's how we can be transformed this morning. If you have Christ within you, you have the fruits of the Spirit. They're not options. They're, they're not spiritual gifts. Being kind, being loving, being humble, those are not spiritual gifts. When you go to Galatians chapter 5, that's not spiritual gifts. And here's the thing, you don't just get them at certain times. When you come to Christ, you get all of them at one time. So guess what? If you're arrogant and prideful, that's not a spiritual gift, nor is that a fruit. That, that's, that's the, called the flesh. Paul dealt with that a few verses up in, in Galatians chapter 5. And he says you've got to get rid of that because you're, you're to be humble and, and thankful. You're, you're to be loving. You're to be kind. You're to be gracious. And so we do that so that we can boast in Christ. But, but when we don't boast in Christ, we are, not, we are not exhibiting any of the fruits of the Spirit. The reason the fruits of the Spirit are not spiritual gifts where certain people have them is because you can't just have one of those and be okay. You, it, it's required in, in the writing of Galatians chapter 5 as you read it in the Greek. It, it's a requirement that if you have one, you have them all. And if you're missing one, guess what? You have none. And if you have none of the spiritual fruit, uh, guess what? You, you don't have. You don't have Jesus. So what Paul's saying here is that in Christ we boast in him, and in that the fruit of the Spirit comes out of us. It's observed in the way that we boast about Christ, even in moments where where. It looks like not things are not going the way we want it. We don't like the, the decisions that, that were made. We don't want to. We don't like this. We don't like that person. Guess what? Jesus says, 
you, that, if that's your brother and sister, guess what? You love them as your brother and sister, and you treat them according to Galatians chapter 5 with all of the fruits of the Spirit. And you love them, and you help them understand who they need to be in Christ, but you don't do it with a, uh, a spirit of judgment, but we do it with a spirit of humbleness because in that, we are boasting about Christ. I'll be honest with you as I close this morning. As I come to, to a close, there is not a person in this room that has had more arrogance or pridefulness to them than me. I can promise you. And at one point in my life, there was not a person in this room who was better than me. I stand that now saying not because of anything new other than Christ working in my life. I stand before you knowing that not only am I not the best among you, but I am the worst among you. And it's taken me a long time to get to that place. I always thought, you know what, Paul must have had a lot of, he must have had a lot of strength to say he was the chief of sinners. But it really isn't strength. It's actually more than that. It's actually examining who you are and then who Christ is. And once you see Christ as Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, it's easy to say, you know what, I am the worst of all people. And that means if there was someone who was a mass murderer in here, I'm not saying this just to say this. I honestly believe this. I am worse than them. I am more of a sinner than they are. Why? Because I see who Christ is and I see who I am in the flesh. And thanks be to God, I can boast that Christ has made me a new creature, a new creation. That's you and I. And so we, what, what do we do? We boast in Christ. And so this morning, here is your application. Here is your call to commitment. Realize where you came from. Consider your calling, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Consider, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were, were wise with human perspective. Uh, not many of you were powerful from a human kind of way. And, and not many of you were of noble birth. But remember your calling. Remember that, that God chose you so that so that he will use you in those things to despise so that you may be despised even more so the world will know how good and glorious Christ is. And in that, as God works in your life, you realize who you are, and in that you are to boast in Christ. This is the gospel message that transforms life. There was no three points in a poem. I never have a poem. But I think this morning as I, as I come to a close, this has probably been the most powerful sermon that I've preached since I've been here. You know why? Because it's all about boasting in Christ. 
and in it I believe that I am preaching to the people that Paul wrote to. And in that, it is an encouragement that we can be transformed. And so this morning, as, as Penny begins to play our, our, our response to the word and worship, my challenge is to you. Remember your calling. Remember where you came from and remember that God chose you from that. You weren't somebody special that God chose. You became special because God chose you. So Paul says this, this language in Ephesians chapter 1. He says that you were adopted in Christ Jesus. I, I don't know if any of you have ever went through the adoption process. Katie and I started the process before Jet was born. And in that, I can tell you what, what would have happened. We would have adopted a little baby boy or girl. That baby boy and girl would have had no decision whether to become a Cruella or not. We were the ones making the decisions. Paul says that about us. That in being adopted into Christ Jesus, our names are changed. Our lives are changed. And in that, we have a new name. Amen? Amen. And in that, we can boast in Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would draw uh, people to yourself this morning, God, that you would bring conviction, that you would work as only you can. <coughs> Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your, your goodness and your grace. Father, as we respond to your word, may you just be with us in Christ Jesus.